0: So, 39 years ago, showed up at my sister's house, and there were five or six, seven people there, uh, and they were there just hanging, they were just friends, and so they were hanging out, and um, I, was, I was just looking for a free meal, and so I go in, and, and their, their, their conversation is pretty intense, and there was a gal there named Carol Wimber, and she was kind of kind of heading up this conversation. Bottom line is... That, that little gathering turned into another gathering. And the second gathering, they asked me if I'd just bring my guitar because they knew that I played a little of the Jesus people choruses. And so they asked me if I'd bring my guitar the next week that would do it again the next week. And so we did, and we started singing these little songs. And, and really what came out of that, um, I mean, nothing, nobody would have used the word worship. There was no worship industry uh, like there is today. Uh, and nobody would, would have really even thought of it as leading worship. We were just singing songs together, and um, and, and what came out of that is what I call an accidental revival uh, because, because nobody had any intention. We were just dry, hungry, thirsty Christians, um, Christians who served in the church and led Bible studies and led people to Christ and led youth groups and Led marriage groups and and you know did all the things you do in the church. But we were probably like acts uh, not yeah, Acts 19 Christians, uh, Christians who who had been baptized into Jesus, but not the Holy Spirit. So we'd been doing all that under our own strength and our own abilities for all those years, about probably ten to twelve years. And we were just really burnt out. and we were just gathering together out of a, a sense of need. Uh, and sense of desire. So out of that hunger, and out of that yearning for more, you know, was birthed this remarkable thing. So, so for me to sit, you know, so to be sitting here, and, and there be a whole band of people, um, you know, singing with the whole group of people at the top of their lungs and engaged is just weird. It's just like who would have, who would have ever thought, you know, when I when I wandered into my sister's living room 39 years ago that this would be happening, not here, but around the world. Uh, we're going to have a gathering in June of vineyard churches um, from around the world, in, no, July. And uh, and and as far as I understand, there's, uh, well, I don't know the totals, really. I know it's going to be filled, but there'll be people from Kenya, there'll be people from Brazil, there'll be people from Costa Rica, there'll be people from China, there'll be people from all over the world that have been affected by that little group of people that met in my sister's living room 39 years ago. And it's just crazy stuff, you know? I, I, I just, it just blows my mind. So when I'm sitting here, I'm I'm getting all stirred up just at the sight of it. And and that just the fact that it exists and, and that it's actually, that it's obviously grown and, and, and matured and um, improved greatly uh, from what we were doing. Um, our first little team just, I mean, you wouldn't let it, you wouldn't let that team lead worship at a home group uh, today. Uh, we, we were that bad, but nobody seemed to care back then, so there was nothing to compare it to. so we were, we were pretty we were pretty doggone good compared to everything else, which was nothing. Uh, <laughs> so that worked out okay for us. Um, uh, second of all, Jonathan and Helen, you know I mean obviously I, we've met and um, and just this whole church planting thing, and, and now you're, you're taking over a church plant. Um, I do this, I do a little bit of this travel stuff. I don't do much of it, uh, because primarily I'm committed to the local church, and I feel like I can have the greatest impact long-term on people's lives through in and through the local church. Um, and even when I come, when I come here, I'm not an evangelist. I don't come as an evangelist. I don't, I'm not a person that tries to stir or does stir anything up. Uh, uh, pretty boring. Um, and, uh, uh, but I come as a, as a, probably as a spiritual father at this stage of the game, uh, a relic, uh, an antique of sorts, uh, but also with a past, as a pastor. Because my, my, my heart is very much to see lives transformed and changed and mature and grow continually in Christ Um, uh, when somebody talks about you know a marriage you know and you guys blessing marriages I mean that's a powerful, incredible thing um, to, to to see God intervene in in these relationships that are dysfunctional and broken, and and and, and, it, and the, that create great pain, uh, and can create great pain for people in the generation. So I just I just love the fact that you exist. I, I love the fact that you've been appointed. I love the fact that you're investing your lives in in the kingdom through the local church. Because I mean, you you can't invest in anything greater than that, as far as I'm concerned. So bless you. Um, uh, so yeah, so that's part of my deal. I'm, I just I'm coming as a pastor. I, I really do think a lot, and and um, it's that's that's my preparation now for most things. Um, I have files and files and files and files of notes. I don't know who wrote them. Um, because I, I'm like, who wrote all this stuff, you know? Because I can't, I can't seem to get three sentences on a piece of paper, um, at this stage of the game. So I think a lot and I pray a lot before I come someplace, and I and I try to put something together. I try to try to put some sort of little conversation together that that you might be able to take some portion of and 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 put in your pocket and take with you and apply in your everyday life. And so when I see when I see that. I get really excited. I don't know if there's any Scripture uh, that I quote more than uh, Philippians 2 uh, across the board, uh, constantly, Whether what, no matter, with, with, with leaders. I say, here's your job description in the Scripture, you know? And I, if I, I couple it with uh, John 13 and Jesus uh, being a servant. Uh, but, but that's... I mean, if, if we could do that, if we could do that period... You don't even need to worry about anything else. I mean, if we could prefer one another, honor one another, serve one another, uh, believe the best about each other, uh, you, I mean, just I mean, just that alone, it means that we are dying to ourselves. It means we truly are dying to ourselves and living unto God for the glory of God and in the in the furtherance of the kingdom. So, um, I just think that like so so when I share with you tonight, what i share with you tonight is for the sake of of you just kind of adding. Some fuel to the fire you know to to move you forward in a particular area and the areas I'm going to talk about is grace um, and that's like this huge subject these days all kinds of books written on it and all that uh, and and so it's kind of a it's got a few landmines out there uh, because I may share some things that you don't believe or you don't think or whatever I don't care um, <laughs> <laughs> Believe whatever you believe, you know. Uh, just, just, just have it rooted and grounded in Scripture. You know, make that the, make that the, make that the, the, the measuring stick by which you, which you look at all teaching on all areas in the life of the church. Uh, does it emerge from the Scripture, or are we projecting ourselves on, into the Scripture? Its context is really important as we understand the Word of God. Um, I have a best friend at home who happens to be a, a woman, uh, and whom I happen to be very very much in love with and I you know I met her a little over a year ago, and she made it really clear that she had no interest whatsoever uh, In me or spending time with me or blah 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 whatever else she said. I didn't listen um, <laughs> I just I was just like sitting there going all right get it over with yeah uh, And then I then I just said hey listen we can't be anything until we're friends and so let's just be friends. And so we started talking and we've been talking every day multiple times a day for a long time. And and uh and at one point in time she had been, I mean, totally stonewalling me continuously. And but I had decided that it didn't matter. I had decided and this is this is way more than about just me and some gal. Um I had decided that if I'm going to be authentic, if I'm gonna be real, if I'm gonna be true to myself and true to God, then I'm gonna own whatever I feel. I'm going to own my feelings, and I'm going to be honest about my feelings, not just with her, but with anybody and everybody, um, and let the chips fall where they may. And, 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 and to me, that's like the most loving, caring thing you can do in a relationship with anybody. And so uh, even though she wasn't responding, she was talking to me and, and talking to me the, um, an amount of time that you wouldn't talk to somebody if you weren't interested. So I knew that. But I, I, but she wouldn't give me anything more than that. And so, but one day we were, we were talking on the phone actually. And, and all of a sudden she stopped and she said, I hate you. And it was music to my ears because I knew what she meant. I knew what she meant. I knew that I had gotten in there, baby. You know, that I had broken through that barricade and I had gotten into her heart. And she, and she, and she admitted that, but she said, well, yeah, maybe like a toe. And I said, no way, man, I'm in. I'm in and you're, it's over. Uh, and so, but, but when you, if you, uh, um, this is a Bible example. If, so if you took what she said, I hate you. You just read it. You go, that's awful bummer for him, uh, you know, and uh, because you, if, because you, if you didn't know the context of what was being said and why it was being said and what she meant by what she was saying, you'd get the whole thing wrong. If we don't get the context of what's being written, why it's being written, who it's being written to, you know, all that stuff, then we, then we can make the Bible say anything we want it to. Okay. And, and that isn't helpful. It's, it, It tends to, it it leans towards the stuff that goes on in our culture of creating a God in our own image. I have friends who tell me what their God will do and won't do. Well, my God would never, and I'm going, okay, where are you, where are you developing this concept? Where are you getting this picture of God from? You know, well, you know, I don't know, some vibrations off here and some... You know, energy over here and, and all that but I'm saying the only thing that gives us a picture of who God is his nature and his character is the word of God that's where we get that's where we get our definition of who God is not by what I feel not by what I think but by what he says about himself and then I just have to deal with it you know, it's just like you know resurrection Sunday you know it's kind of like you know if Jesus rose from the dead then all the all the arguments are over Whether you like what he says or don't like what he says, you know, it's done. We have to, we have to come into agreement with what he teaches and what he leads us into. So anyway, um, so when I look at grace, I have to look at the whole picture of grace. I think that, I think grace is much like the gospel. Uh, somebody said this about the gospel one time. The gospel is, is so shallow that a child can swim in it, weight in it, and so deep an elephant can swim. And, and, and that's kind of how it is. And I think the same thing's true of grace. I think it's very, very simple on one hand. Um, we're justified by faith and, and, and we enter into the grace of God by faith. And, and just like Abraham just believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. But was that the end of the story? No, Abraham had to walk it out. He had to live it out. And he didn't, and he didn't always do it so perfectly, right? This is my sister you know twice he does that with his wife you know he, he you know he's a he cat and he's afraid he's going to get in big trouble uh, with with the king and so he he t- lies and he says this is my sister and so he you know he wasn't p- perfect in his faith but he but his faith made him perfect see that's what happens faith makes us perfect and so um, i'm going to read you a few quotes um, that kind of have a broader definition of grace. And then we're going to look at what the scripture says about grace and what the ultimate result, um, is (laughs) of grace. Some of these seem to probably irritate some of you. Um, but we'll just look at all of it. And I don't, like I said, what do I care if I irritate you? You know, I'm leaving, I'm leaving Tuesday uh, to beautiful New Zealand. So and by the way, I love being with you guys. Love being with Kurt and, and Nicole and the family. And what? Oh, I thought you were saying, I thought you said something else. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, in court, the gang. You know, Trent. Just when I see you guys, it makes me. Feel, I feel at home. I feel very comfortable. Uh, it's lovely to be here. Um, and, and anybody that knows me knows that I don't like to travel. Uh, I don't like to be away from home. Um, uh, but it just seems to be part of the deal uh, it's nothing I have any ambition for whatsoever uh, some people love it I, I'd just soon be with the people that God has given me to pastor in the local church there uh, but but I don't believe that that's what God has for me and i'm not my own I'm bought with a price you know so I just do what he I do the things that I believe he's asking me to do and even if he's not asking me to do it then i'm hoping and praying that he'll bless it anyway So uh, anyway, okay. the gospel of justifying faith means that while Christians are in themselves still sinful and sinning, yet in Christ, in God's sight, they're accepted and righteous. So we can say that we are more wicked than we ever dared believe, but more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope at the very same time. There's a lot of both ands in the scripture. A whole lot of both ands. There's a whole lot of things that create tension. And I believe they're meant to create tension. I believe it's from the tension that the music comes. You know, if you take any one of these instruments and you and you reduce the tension on the strings, it, music doesn't come from it, just noise. But in our lives, these tensions are the things that we have to hold that that pr- create in us the the music of life. They create the melodies of life. Having to hold things in tension, um, it's it, we we at one time need to know that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit for the until the for the day of redemption. At the same time, work out our salvation in fear and trembling. And you go, huh? <laughs> well, it's it's both and it's it's both things, and both things are equally true. That'll really make you crazy. Um, so we can say that we are more wicked than we ever dared believe, but more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope at the very same time. This creates a radical new dynamic, tension, for personal growth. It means that the more you see your own flaws and sin, the more precious and electrifying and amazing God's grace appears to you. See, the more, I mean, I, I, you know, it, over time, you know, the gospel comes to us with grace and truth, not truth and grace. Truth and grace would just destroy us. Yeah, just kill us. But grace and truth allows us to see things gradually and and, and, and it's a revelation to us that, that continues to increase. And so when I when I become aware of just how wicked I really am at my core and just how Totally and completely I am loved by God. It just creates this remarkable uh, amount of thanksgiving and joy and thanks, thankfulness and gratitude. Um, but on the other hand, the more you are aware of God's grace and accepted in Christ, the more able you are to drop your denials and self-defenses and admit the true dimensions and character of your sin. You know, uh, Luther, that was Timothy Keller. Uh, I would recommend him to anybody. Um, Luther said this, this life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness, not health, but healing, not being but becoming, not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but is going on. This is not the end, but it's the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. Uh, read first and second Peter and you'll get a nice commentary on that whole concept, that whole idea. Um, Matt Chandler said this. He said, without a heart transformed by the grace of Christ, we just continue to manage external and internal darkness. See, the transformation by His grace is what we're after, and we're going to get to the Scripture on that in a minute, but that's because it can't be it can't be rules. It can't be principles. It can't be keys. Those are all fine in their place. They're not evil in and of themselves. But they're evil when they become the means of producing righteousness because the law will never produce righteousness. The law simply points out everything you do wrong and does nothing to help you fix it. And so we, we, we gravitate constantly towards the law, don't we? Um, i 'm going to say something that some of you may not understand and hear fully and just accept that and don't make me try to explain it um, uh, years ago in the states, there was this uh, this movement and it probably it probably affected you guys here at some point called Promise keepers and so our guys were all totally psyched up for it, and they 're all you know getting organizing buses for it you know and so the first year I resisted and I was I kept from from going and uh, but the guys were all into it, so they're really pressing. And, and so they started you know, saying, we really want you to come to us, come to promise keepers with us. And I'd say, you mean promise breakers? And they're going, no, man, it's promise keepers, and blah, 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 and accountability, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I said promise breakers. Um, because, you know, does, have you not learned anything by the gospel? That, that there's no righteousness that can pro- be produced by our own works? And so I went with them on the buses, the big yellow buses, to this big stadium in in Los Angeles. And it happened to be freezing cold that night. And the wind was blowing and howling. And I had brought my two oldest sons. They still have not forgiven me. (laughs) We are leaving that place after hours of, you know, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? And then the other side of the statement, I love, you know, just like. Corny as could be. Um, so, and, and then endless speakers, you know, blathering on and on and on, and, um, and just, oh, whatever. Um, and so, and then we were going to the buses. We, there's a gazillion big yellow buses. We don't know where our bus is. We're walking around, and my sons are with me, and my one son says to me, This counts as one full year of father son time. <laughs> Like, like, like they, they don't have to go do anything else this year with me. You know, that was how bad they, their, their experience was. Now, I'm fine with encouraging each other and edifying each other and really prophesying each other and the best for the, each other. But when we begin to create these things that are going to create righteousness, it ain't going to work. Because if you do create any righteousness, then you become self-righteous. And and the, the grace of God doesn't leave any room for self righteousness it leaves no room for anything but humility and gratitude when we're affected by the grace of god the true unconditional magnificent you know indescribable grace of god we will never look down our nose at anybody else's sinfulness we'll never be surprised by man's ability to sin because we know our own and we know that we've been freed from it by the grace of god and that's such good stuff um, let me do one more. Ooh. Grace, on the other hand, means that God is pursuing you, that God forgives you, that God sanctifies you. When you are apathetic toward God, he is never apathetic toward you. When you don't desire to pray and talk to God, he never... Grows tired of talking to you when you forget to read your Bible and listen to God. He is always listening to you. Grace means that your spirituality is upheld by God's stubborn enjoyment of you. Isn't that good? Isn't that nice? <laughs> yeah, that's his. That's 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 his specialty, isn't it? All right, I'm going to read one more because it's so good. Um, this is by a guy named Preston Sprinkle, as if anything could come from a man named Preston Sprinkle that's good. Um, i like, what? It's his name? Um, sorry. Uh, Grace is unconditional acceptance given to you, an undeserving person, by an unobligated giver. Grace is recklessly generous and uncomfortably promiscuous. Grace does not make demands, it gives. And from our vantage point, it always gives to the wrong person. Have you ever read the Gospels? You ever read who Jesus hung out with? You ever see what the religious people thought? It made them sick. They could not believe that those were the people that he was choosing to embrace. And at one point, you know, he said, he said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I didn't come from the people who, who were full of their own righteousness. I, I, I came for the people who have no righteousness of their own to give them mine. You know, that's, that's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of the gospel. Um, I love that. And from our vantage point, it always gives to the wrong person. Grace is more than just leniency and unconditional acceptance. Divine grace is God's relentless and loving pursuit of His enemies who are unthankful, unworthy, and unlovable. Grace is not just God's avail- ability to save sinners, but God's stubborn delight in His enemies. You know, Christ died for us and while that we're yet rebelling against Him, He gave His life for us um, In, in Luke 6, it talks about loving those, loving your enemies, blessing those who curse you, you know, forgiving, and you'll be forgiven, being merciful, and you'll be shown mercy. Why? Why? Why do we do that? How can I do that? What's my resource for being able to love somebody that doesn't love me, to be merciful to somebody that doesn't deserve, to forgive somebody who I don't want to forgive? Well, it's His. It's, it's what he's done for me. Because you know what he says? He says, because God is kind to the ungrateful and undeserving. There are no yeah buts there. Yeah, but you don't understand my pain. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He suffered excruciating pain. He, he, suffered, uh, he suffered great sorrow uh, great agony of the soul uh, so that he could carry ours. Um, when I read through the, the Garden of Gethsemane story and I, I just picture, I mean, I wish we could see a, dra- a dramatization of it that that just showed it in its fullness. I mean, it says, it says that Jesus threw himself to the ground. Threw himself. You want to demonstrate that, Corey? I mean, just... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've, I've always wanted to, but I'm thinking, I'll, I'll never get up. They'll be calling 911 or whoever your emergency services are. You know, I'd be like, be, it would be over for me. Um, uh, but I've seen it. I, I, I walked into a, 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 the, the lounge, the living room of, of a young lady who had just lost her husband to a battle with AIDS and um and it was it was just this hor- horrible, most horrific thing you've ever seen in your life, um, and um, he was just ravished by that disease, and it was just brutal and she just threw herself on the hardwood floor, just threw herself weeping and sobbing. Jesus threw himself on the ground, he got a glimpse into hell, he got a glimpse into God's wrath, he got a glimpse into. Uh, God's judgment and he knew he was going to experience it on our behalf and he said Father if there's any way any way to escape this but not my will but your will be done and the scripture later tells us that he despised the shame but he endured the cross why the joy set before him what joy calling the family back together In the Garden of Eden, the family had been broken up. God had created man so that we could commune with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit to to live in community with them. That was his plan all along, and that community was broken, and the children were scattered, and the Son came and called the family back together. That's what Jesus is doing. All right, turn to Titus chapter 2, and I'll spend less time on that than I did all my quotes, but what the heck. Those are great quotes. I don't know where I am. Okay, we'll go here. Oh, there we go. Okay, so so all that backdrop on grace so that we'd understand where I'm coming from with it. Because grace grace does two things. Um it 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 it, it, it just gives us what we don't have and what we can never deserve, and we can never earn. But then it also enables us to move forward and walk forward in life, uh, free from the things that that had bound us, free from the things that had destroyed us. And And it's not something that we do, it's something we receive. Okay? So in Titus 2, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness okay what teaches us to say no to ungodliness grace the law can't do it your promises to God can't do it my promises to God can't do it you know you know my my accountability partner can't do it the only thing that can really free me really free me without me becoming self-righteous um, is to is to experience the life-transforming power of of God through the Holy Spirit as He administrates grace in my heart and my life. Okay? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So the point is, He doesn't give us His grace so that we can continue in the things that kill us, continue in the things that undermine His pleasure in us and through us. That, that undermine our ability to have pleasure in Him. See, that's what sin does. It, it, it robs us of the pleasure of, of relating and communion with God. I, I don't care what you want to think about where you're at positionally, but when I sin, when I sin, it really does affect, it doesn't affect my standing with God. It doesn't affect His love for me. It doesn't affect any of those things, but it affects my attitude it affects my freedom, it affects my joy, it affects my peace, it affects my contentment. And so guess what? Uh, and, it, and, it, and frankly, it, can, it affects the life that I have in him. And so I don't want to continue in sin. I don't want to continue in, in worldly passions and desires being tossed around. I don't want my my relationship with God to be influenced by those things. So I continue to open my heart to the grace of God. So were to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, this is so cool, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what's good. I mean, that's what he wants, man. He, he wants to, see, we didn't have the ability to do good before, but he wants us to free us for the, uh, uh, in the ability to love people that are unlovable, to give to people that don't deserve it, to, to care for those that are in need who, for whatever reason, they've gotten there. So, I mean, that's just God's heart for us. And, and, but we don't get it. We don't get it as long as we don't get the magnitude of our own brokenness and our own sinfulness that He is covered with His grace. You take the parable of the, of the two servants, right? And we'll end with this. You've got one who goes before the ruler and, and He is, He is forgiven this massive, unrepayable debt okay and so and he is like it's (laughs) it's really crazy because the the guy forgives him this huge debt that he could never repay in a lifetime himself and then he runs into somebody that owes him a few bucks and he throttles the guy and he has him thrown into prison why do you think that parable's there? (laughs) yeah because it's what we do We've been forgiven everything. Every single rotten thing we've done, and therefore nobody owes us anything. And when we see somebody and they and when we you know that 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 at one time owed us something because of the because we understand the the magnitude of the forgiveness that we've received, the grace that has been poured out on our lives, we just go you don't owe me anything. You don't owe me anything. And, and this, this comes up in our lives. Again, you can, you, can, you can say, well, I'm this in Christ. Well, you are and you aren't. You are, but but when, when it becomes integrated is when you have the chance to exercise grace towards others. When I exercise the grace of God to others that, that he's freely poured out to me, it gets integrated into my heart into my soul. It changes the way that I think. It changes the way that I act. It changes every single thing about me. And I can take no credit for it because it's his grace. I probably told you this story last year, but, um, uh, there was a gal who was just, just mean to me just awful, you know, just told lies about me and, you know, all this stuff. And I would hear about it, you know, from various people, and, and and it did bother me. You know, I'd met this person when I was 11 years old, and and I just couldn't imagine that they, you know, had this much animosity and hatred towards me. And and then all of a sudden it changed. And so I get a letter, and it's a really nice letter. And it's a nice letter talking about God's promises for me and how God's not done with me and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm reading, this, I'm reading this on my laptop, sitting in my bed, and I'm like, really? Hmm. You know, there's no acknowledgment that they ever sinned against me. There's no acknowledgment that there's any remorse for having sinned against me. Uh, there's just all of a sudden a change of heart. And all of a sudden they love me. And all of a sudden I'm wonderful. And all of a sudden I'm beautiful. And blah, 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 blah. And it's not really affecting me too deeply. And so I'm like, I'm reading this, and I remember very clearly looking at that on my laptop and then looking at my ceiling and going, you know, what do I do with that? What the heck do I do with this? And then all of a sudden it was if if the Holy Spirit just, you know, superimposed Luke chapter 6 right over that. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. You know, uh, forgive, you know, and you'll be forgiven. Be merciful and you'll be, because God is, you know, the whole thing. And I just, and all of a sudden I just went, got it. Got it. She owes me nothing. I know how hard that is to receive for some of you but nobody owes you anything. Jesus paid for every single transgression, all of it. He took it all on himself. Uh, and so he owns it. He owns any debt that anybody owes you. Jesus paid it already. And so that does change the way that I look at people. I mean, I was, anyway, if nobody owes me anything, then I can be a person that owes nobody anything but to love one another, right? Isn't that what we're talking about? Isn't what that's what that's talking about? To owe no man anything but to love one another. In every situation. And the only way that we figure out whether we're giving or not is whether we're doing it in our daily lives. You know, I, I have some people I had, another couple I had to forgive. And, uh, and, and I thought I'd done it. I thought I'd just, I'd said the words. I said I'd forgiven them. And I said them to the Lord. I said them to other people. And all of a sudden they came up in some conversation and it was like a manifest of ah, you know, just all of a sudden I wasn't—I hadn't forgiven them so much, uh, and uh, I realized it. I could feel it, my my blood pressure changing, my sweat on my brow, you know. Uh, I could tell. Oh, oh, I haven't really forgiven them, and uh, and so I did it again. So I said, Lord, I forgive them. I I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't realize I hadn't forgiven them, and you know. I, the Bible talks about that. You know, it, how many times should we forgive? Jesus said 70 times 7. What he's saying is as many times as you need to. You may have to, the first time, forgive like 100 times, and then maybe 90, then maybe 50, then maybe, you know, and eventually it's gone. But you just forgive as many times as you need to forgive. You just love as much as you need to love because you have enough love to love with because he's poured it into you through his grace and through his mercy and his kindness. And so the whole bottom line here is is yes we have received God's grace. Yes we've received his reckless, crazy, you know, unbelievable grace, but it's meant to release us to release others. It's meant to release us to to embrace others and encourage one another on unto good works when when Kirk just you know decided to ask people to come up and, and prophesy over Jonathan and Helen. I, I just I just thought of that whole thing of of what prophecy is it's it's words of exhortation and words of comfort words of encouragement words of edification you know no wonder Paul said I wish that you'd all prophesy right because that's he just wants us blessing each other with our words encouraging each other with our words comforting each other with our words edifying each other with our words, building each other up with the things that we say to one another so that we can all grow up into, in, in, in Ephesians it says he's building us up into a holy temple, in a, you know, a people, we're a people being built up as a holy temple where the Holy Spirit dwells. See, when we become that kind of people, right back there, we experience the presence of God in our midst. And it's not anything that we deserve. It's not anything that we've created on our own. It's, it's we, what we've done is we've yielded ourselves to his grace and mercy. And we've just yielded ourselves to one another in like kind. So we've treated, we treat others the way that Jesus treats us. And there's great freedom in that, gang. Great freedom in that. Amen? Let's have the worship group come back up. That would be you people that play instruments. Yeah, you can play drums. No, I can't play drums. No, I can't play drums. I can barely play the guitar. So, let's just let's uh, as we worship. Let's just just again. You know? Open hearts, open hands not holding anything, not covering anything up. Lord, let your grace affect us at every single level of our being. You go, well, I've done that. I've opened my heart up. Do it again. And then do it again. You know, do it on Monday, then try it on Tuesday, and then do it on Wednesday. Do it the rest of your life. Press into the grace, the kindness, the mercy of God, let it have its way with you. Let it have its way with you. And it'll transform the way you think, the way you act, the way you talk. Even even the desires of your heart will change. You'll, You'll literally get to a place with people where, you know, there's something that you really like doing, there's something that you really feel gifted for, able to do, and yet there's somebody else that comes along, and you'll just be, no, you do it, and you'll mean it. Because we, we say it plenty of times when we don't really mean it. Um, but you'll mean it. You'll want the best for, for everyone else, knowing that God will take care of you. Make sense? So let's worship a little bit and then ask the Holy Spirit to just touch us. Okay.